Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John's Gospel. John chapter 15. Growing a great family at Calvary. You see this all the time. Because it is indeed our mission. Our mission describes what we are to be like as we multiply Christ-like disciples who are passionate about their God. Remember, I asked you to pray about that this week in your life. Passionate about their God, obedient to His Word, dependent upon Him through prayer, connected to one another, authentic and relevant, so that we might multiply Christ-like disciples. And it's all about us fulfilling the assignment that God has given to us. The last words that Jesus spoke when he was here on this earth are recorded in Acts Gospel chapter 1. And he said this, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he was taken up into heaven. That statement by Jesus was founded on what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission is found in Matthew's Gospel. The last verses of Matthew's response to us as he identifies the living Lord and gives to us an assignment. Matthew chapter 28, 18, 19, and 20. Now I want you to look up here, please, because we're going to read these verses. We're going to read them in unison. They're out of the English Standard Version, and I want you to notice something. They're red-letter verses. I don't know how many of you have Bibles that are red-letter. Dennis, you have one there. Mine is not. I wish it was. Because the red letter identifies words of Christ, and those are important. And so as we read this passage together... I want you to recognize that this is what Jesus said. That gives it some credence. That gives it some emphasis. That gives it some understanding to you and to me. Let's read these verses together. We're just going to read the verses. You don't have to worry about the reference, all right? So here we go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our assignment. You shall be witnesses, he said before he went up. And the foundation is go and make disciples. Now, what does that mean? That means that we baptize them. We give a public declaration that they are disciples, followers of Christ. It's important that you and I give a public demonstration that we are followers of Christ. Amen? People ought to recognize that we have an authority in our life, and that authority is Jesus Christ, and he is the one that we are trying to reflect in our lives. But not only are we to baptize, we're to teach. And what are we to teach? 
We are to teach the things that Jesus taught. I think that's interesting, don't you? I wonder how many times in your life, in my life, do we try to get people to do things that Jesus never talked about? Do we try to encourage people to do things that Jesus never addressed? The process is a public identification with Christ and then a connectedness to the teachings of Jesus. That's why it's so important that we understand this is red-letter stuff. And so Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's our assignment. But I want you to understand, in order to make one, you got to be one. All right? In order to make one, you got to be one. Turn to John 15 if you're not there. Because this is the passage that Jesus shows us how to be one. It's a passage on connectedness. And it's a passage that you and I need to reflect from our lives if we're going to go out and make Christ-like disciples. And the reason I say that is because in verse 8, the last part of that verse, it says, so prove to be my disciples. Underline that in your Bibles. So prove to be my disciples. Now, if you have a King James translation, it says this, so shall you be my disciples. If you have a new King James translation, it says this, so you will be my disciples. If you have a New International Version translation, it says this, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Do you get the idea? This proves that we are his disciples. Now, I want to take the time this morning to read this passage of Scripture. We've read it before. And I want to read down through verse 17 so you follow along in your copy of the Scriptures. Will you please? John 15 starting with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine... Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be 
my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it you. For these things I command you so that you will love one another. Red letter stuff. Now I want you to note that in that passage of Scripture, ten times Jesus talks about abiding. If you abide, he that abides. The word is meno. And it has the idea of connectedness. Think of a vine and branches. Connectedness. You cannot have branches that are alive apart from the vine. Then Jesus addresses that and he says, if you're not connected to the vine, you don't have any life. Might as well go out and get burned because you're not producing fruit. So I want to talk about connectedness and what that means if we are to be Christ-like disciples. Now, there are four truths in this passage of Scripture that talk about Christ-like disciples. Let me give them to you, first of all. The first truth is that we love one another. In verses 12 and verse 17, Jesus says that we are to love one another. The second truth is that we invest in fruit. In verses 4, 5, 8, and 16, Jesus talks about fruit. Thirdly, we are to keep his commandments. In verse 10 and verse 14, he says, keep my commandments. And the last quality that we understand about being Christ-like is it's exclusive. The only way you can be Christ-like is to be connected to the mind. And we identified the ten abides that are here. But I want you to note in verse 2 and in verse 6, Jesus says that if you don't bear fruit, he takes away. Verse 6, he says, if you're not bearing fruit, you're purged and you're cut up and you're burned. It's exclusive. If we were to be Christ-like disciples. Now this morning, we're going to look at this first quality that we are to Love one another. And Jesus talks about Christ-like love. And it's important we understand that. 
Now, you will remember that Jesus has given to us the great commandment. It's found in Matthew chapter 22. He was questioned one day, what are the greatest commandments? I don't know what you would pick out if you thought, if you were questioned one day about the greatest commandments. If you have small children, you might say, honor your father and your mother. (laughs) But Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And you remember what he said? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now that in itself takes care of the first four. The first four commandments that we have are that we are to worship God, no graven images, don't take his name in vain, and remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. No other gods, no graven images, don't take his name in vain, and remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That takes, that covers it, doesn't it? And then Jesus said, the second one, it is just like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. That takes care of the next six. Honor your father and your mother. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet. If you love your neighbor, then you don't have to worry about those six. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's good stuff, isn't it? But I want to refer you to something in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus said, this is my commandment. It's the only place where Jesus uses this personal pronoun to identify a commandment. This is my commandment. Now, if you have a Bible like mine, you can look across the page and you can go to John chapter 13, where in verse 34, he says, a new commandment. I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. If you study scripture and you study Jewish culture, you discover that not only were there the Ten Commandments, but there were some 600 rules and regulations and commandments that the Jewish people lived underneath, identified by Jesus to love the Lord your God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself. But here in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I want you to know something. This is what I want you to do. Don't miss it. This is red letter stuff. These are my words. This is my commandment. It's exclusive. 
it's all-encompassing. It supersedes all the other commandments. And so I would share with you this morning that based on the new commandment of John chapter 13 and the fact that Jesus says this is my commandment, that this is the only commandment that Jesus gives to us. You say, well, wait a minute. What about when Jesus says, teaching you to observe all that I have commanded you? If we practice this commandment, we don't have to worry about the rest of it. What about when Jesus says, all that my Father has commanded you? If we will practice this, everything else gets included. Sometimes we try to make the Christian life complicated. That was the Jewish religion. A whole list of do's and don'ts. What do you do on the Sabbath? What don't you do on the Sabbath? How far can you walk on the Sabbath? How far can't you walk on the Sabbath? How much can you cook on the Sabbath? How, can, how much can't you cook on the Sabbath? If your animal's in a hole, can you pull them out on the Sabbath or can't you? A, a list of do's and don'ts. But Jesus said, I don't want to give you a list of do's and don'ts. I want to give you one principle. And that's that you love one another. And it's critical that we recognize that the greatest quality that we can have in our lives is love. If you ever go to an ordination examination where a candidate stands before a group of folks and they are asked to defend their doctrine, many times this question is asked, what are the qualities of God? That's a good question. And the candidate many times will say, well, God is love. The Bible says that, God is love. God is light. The Bible says that too. God is our Heavenly Father. That's good. Grace and mercy and forgiveness and faithfulness comes out of all of that. That's all good stuff, right? But then someone will inevitably try to trick the candidate. And they'll ask this question. What is the greatest quality of God? Kind of like the greatest commandment. If you got kids, it's obey mom and dad. The greatest quality of God is this. God is a holy God. Because his love and his mercy and his grace and his faithfulness and his forgiveness and the truth that he is light flows from his holiness. The greatest quality of Christ likeness is love. Because everything else flows 
from that quality in our lives. I think it interesting in verse 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Which brings us to the outworking of that love. And what does Jesus say? Love one another. Twice here in John 15, and twice over in John 13, where we get that new commandment, Jesus talks about loving one another. Someone has written, to dwell above with saints we love. Oh, won't that be glory? I knew I'd get a hallelujah or amen out of that. But to dwell with below with saints we know, well, that's another story. Love is imperative. There's no choice. It's a verb. Action demanded from our lives. Twelve times in the New Testament we are told that we are to love one another. And by the way, there are over 16 one another's that are also listed that flow from this love. And what Jesus is saying is, get over there and love that guy. You got challenges in your marriage? Go home and love one another. You got cultural situations? Get past it and love them. Concerned about problem solving? Get in there and show some love. And what does Peter tell us? Love conquers a multitude of sins. And so if we are to be Christ-like disciples, this love has to flow from us to one another. Because it is that that is going to change our world. May I direct you back to chapter 13, which again is across the page in my Bible. Verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is going to change our world? It's the way we treat each other in love. That's what Jesus said. Now you can argue it all you want. But Lord, you don't know that other individual. You don't know how wrong they are. But Lord, I need to go straighten them out. Well, if you do straighten them out and love them, 
Because if you and I are going to change our world, the only way we're going to do it is for them to see our love one for the other. Peter said this in 1 Peter 3, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What Peter's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor, love one another. That's sanctification. And be ready to ask because people are going to want to know how in the world do you do that? I have a friend. He lost 45 pounds. I wish I could lose half that. But the question that comes to my friend is, how'd you do it? Right? I mean, he is 20% of the man he used to be. Or down 20%. I guess that makes him 80% of the man he used to be. And so he gives it. How'd you do? His answer, Nutrafast. <laughs> there was a time that I was on that. Oh, what's that stuff that you, you shake? That Slim Fast. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Connie had to, this doesn't have anything to do with anything. I, I used to mix it because it was a powder deal in a Tupperware thing that really is designed to get the lumps out of gravy. Okay? I mean, it's got this thing on the top and you... Okay? Our daughter was setting up her own house. And one... Christmas, we gave her one of those. Thought she might want to fix some gravy sometimes. She opened it up and tears started running down her face. And she said, you think I'm fat? <laughs> True story. We had to tell her that that could be used for other stuff besides slim fast. <laughs> truth is, if you and I will love one another with a conviction and a passion, people are going to ask, how do you do that? You know why? Because there are some people out there that know who you are. And seeing you and seeing me love each other. They wonder, how in the world can you do that? We have friends. They've been here at Calvary. Names are Bob and Vicki. They are unique people. We have gone on vacation with them. They had a motor home. License plate was only two. We got to stay in their motor home. We're the only ones that got to do that. My kids have. They, they can't understand how we're so good, so good of friends with Bob and Vicky. 
They just don't, they don't know. If we loved the way Jesus tells us to love, people won't understand, but they'll ask. Love one another. And how are we going to do that? Back to verse 12 of chapter 15, please. The last five words of that verse say, As I have loved you. This is not a do as I do, not as I say. Or do as I say, not as I do. Jesus gave us an example to follow. Now, you and I, on this side of the cross, look at the cross, right? And we say he laid down his life. In fact, Jesus addresses this. No greater love than a man lay down his life. But I remind you that the disciples aren't on the same side of the cross you and I are. So how do they know how Jesus loved? This instruction is given while they're celebrating Passover. Do you remember how Jesus showed his love to them at the Passover? He washed their feet. You done any foot washing recently? Humbling yourselves and serving someone else? Even though they may not have it together and you do? I want you to think about that. None of the disciples had it together. Only Jesus did, and he still washed their feet. Now, as he's saying this, I'm sure that the disciples are, are thinking about the times that Jesus showed love to them. Do you remember when there was a storm, and Jesus came walking on the water, and Peter said, let me come to you? Remember that? And Jesus said, come, come on, this is a good thing, come on. And do you remember how Jesus had to rescue Peter because Peter took his eyes off the Lord? You know, if I'd have been Jesus, I'd have thought, you got out of the boat, you either keep your eyes on me or you sink. But Jesus loved Peter and reached out and brought him to himself and gave him safety in the boat. That's how Jesus loved. You remember Nathaniel? Philip, Nathaniel's brother, came to Nathaniel one day and said, we found the Christ. Now Jesus was right there. And you remember what Nathaniel said? Can anything good come out of Galilee? You know how Nathaniel dissed the hometown of Jesus? I mean, some of you get upset when I talk about Ohio State and Michigan. Good win last night for the Wolverines. But can you imagine Jesus? And you remember what Jesus' response was? 
here's a man in which is no guile. <laughs> talk about love. Remember Matthew? Matthew was hated by all of his countrymen. Why? Because he was a tax collector. He was working for the Romans. He, he was working for the occupiers of Israel. Remember the love that Jesus showed to Matthew? He said, come on, follow me. disciples, I'm sure, thought about a recent event when a lady of ill repute broke a costly alabaster box and anointed his feet, wept, and dried them with her hair. Remember how Jesus loved her? Should throw this lady out. Don't you know who she is, Jesus? Get rid of her. Jesus says, this lady's preparing me for God's plan. Remember that? And so you and I have a very specific Example, visual of how we are to love. And you and I are to love like Jesus loved. Why? Because Jesus said, that's my commandment. Jesus said, in an exclusive new way, this is how you show people that you are Christ-like disciples. And you'll change the world. And what does this show the world? It's the exhibition that we are His, right? I couldn't do it. Without Jesus, I couldn't. I wouldn't want to do it, frankly. But that's his commandment. I have no interest. Except this is what Jesus tells me to do. You see... It's not by our moral standards that men will know by, that we are his disciples. It's by our love. That's what Jesus said. Now, we ought to have moral standards. But it's how do we present those standards in love. It's not by our separation from the world. That people will know we're his disciples. 
we ought to be separate from the world. It's not by our preaching, getting in somebody's face and telling them what we think or why they're wrong. It's by our love. Demonstration of who he is and what he has done in our lives. You know, some quotations are dangerous. This may be one of them. Dionne Warwick. Some of you will remember her. She's saying this. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross. Enough to last until the end of time. What the world needs now is love. Sweet love. I would add Christ-like love. That's the only thing. There's too little love. So how do we do that? Let me just give you four principles very quickly this morning. Christ-like love as we love one another. Number one, Christ-like love lives according to his standard. It's not my standard, it's not your standard, it's his standard. It's not my likes, it's not my dislikes, it's his. It's not where I'm comfortable or where I'm uncomfortable. It's all about red letter stuff, right? Christ-like love offers reconciliation. You ever write anybody off? Aren't you thankful Jesus didn't write anybody off? Galatians chapter 6 is an interesting passage. We'll not turn there, but it says this. You who are spiritual, restore one another. Restore in love. Christ-like love is vibrant. It's alive. It's attractive. It's real. And Christ-like love examples that we are connected to Christ. Vine branches, remember that? Next week, we're going to be back here. I may be dangerous announcing that because half of you may not come back. But I want you to think about something this week. We're going to spend some time in 1 Corinthians 13. The great love chapter... I'm going to say this next week, but I want you to think about it this week. You know how 1 Corinthians 13 starts? If I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not love, 
I become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. If I had faith to move all mountains, if I give my body to be burned, if I give all of my goods to feed the poor and have not love, it profits me not. Now, all that stuff's pretty good, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great to have faith to move some mountains? That's a good thing. Wouldn't it be great to, to, to preach? I'd love to do that. I'd love to preach with the tongues of men and angels. I might get more amens that way. I've asked myself, am I willing to give my life for Christ? Give my body to be burned? If I don't have love, it's nothing. It's nothing. Christ-like discipleship. Think about that this week. We'll talk about it next week. Bring your friends and family back, all right? Especially people that you want to love you. That's what it's all about, folks. Connectedness. Words of Jesus, not mine. Vine branches. Christ-like disciples who are passionate about their God, obedient to His Word, dependent upon Him in prayer, connected to one another, and authentic and relevant in this world.